This is the Investors Unite podcast, a look at government overreach and secrecy and its impact on American taxpayers, public policy, and law. For years, the federal government has tried to hide its misuse of authority with regard to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. The Investors Unite podcast helps you untangle the facts. The latest installment begins now. Hi, this is Tim Pagliera, Executive Director of Investors Unite. Joining us for today's podcast is investor and Investors Unite member Michael Sickland. Mike is a graduate of Princeton. He has a joint JD-MBA from the University of Florida and is a member of the Florida Bar Association. Like many shareholders in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, he's been displeased with how the conservatorship has played out these last eight years. But he went the extra step of undertaking with another Investors Unite investor and Adam Spittler for what has been termed as a forensic analysis of the conservatorship. Suffice it to say, they didn't like what they found. What's more, the opaque nature of the government's actions continue to raise questions and concern. So first of all, Mike, can you tell us what you found in your analysis from 2015? Uh, Sure, Tim, and thanks for having me. Um, I wrote these papers with Adam Spittler and a little background on Adam. He is a CPA, former KPMG, who did SOX compliance for the GSE, so is very familiar with the entities. And what we did is we put three reports together. And the main takeaway was this, was that top government officials took advantage of a chaotic moment in the country's economic history to engineer a way to A, start dismantling Fannie and Freddie, and B, use them to prop up Wall Street. Um, First of all, it was apparent that Fannie and Freddie were not in the dire straits used to justify the extraordinary move to effectively nationalize the companies in the fall of 2008. Uh, Administration officials at the time needed the GSE's stability, infrastructure, and cash to prop up big banks. Not only were the GSEs politically unpopular at the time, but they were also in relatively good shape. They weren't in need of a bailout, but they got one. And had the GSEs been given a $200 billion line of credit, they wouldn't have had to have drawn a penny. Uh, second officials used accounting gimmicks to justify the establishment of the conservatorship and the infusion of funds from the Treasury. In other words, the GSEs were not insolvent, but they needed to appear to be insolvent. And even though accounting deals with numbers and is often regarded as a precise science, there is actually a lot of room for creativity. Uh, Bank accounting focuses primarily on asset values rather than cash, and asset values open up a lot of room for gimmickry. And in this case, the government manipulated the deferred tax assets, the loan loss reserves, FAS 133, and putback assets to make it look like Fannie and Freddie were in dire trouble. And here are a couple of kind of quick examples of what you see when you compare the headline versus actually drilling down. In Q3 of 08, when Fannie and Freddie were placed in a conservatorship, Fannie Mae's net loss appeared to be $29 billion. But when you drill down, you see in Q3 of 08, Fannie Mae actually generated $1.1 billion in cash net income. But there were $30 billion in engineered non-cash accounting charges on the books. Similarly, if you take a look from the time period of 2008 to 2010, 
it appears that Fannie Mae's net income was a negative $140 billion, which sounds absolutely atrocious. But when you drill down, you see that Fannie Mae's cash net income over this time period was actually $24 billion. Um, and so when Fannie Mae was taken over, it had $36.3 billion on cash on hand in the fall of 2008. And it had hundreds of billions of dollars in unencumbered liquid MBS that could have been used as collateral. So it had a very strong cushion to weather the storm. And I think Fannie and Freddie's rapid rebound in a significant process, uh, profits just a few years later kind of reinforces uh, this view. Well, beyond that, you also determined that Deloitte in its role as the outside auditor enabled this um, by misstating the company's financial position when the Housing and Economic Recovery Act was passed and in the years after that leading up to the net worth sweep in 2012. So there have been a number of lawsuits alleging accounting misrepresentations, recognizing that there are details related to a lawsuit over this that you might not be free to comment on can you summarize what you concluded and where this stands at this point? Sure. Um, some Fannie Mae sh shareholders, myself included, and I'd like to remind um, kind of some people out there who characterize this as being driven solely by investment firms, that our lead plaintiff is a retired uh, master sergeant in the United States Air Force. Um, but what we have alleged is that Deloitte in its audits between 2008 and 2013 deviated from standard accounting principles. And this contributed to keeping Fannie in conservatorship and misled shareholders who were trying to make investment decisions, which ultimately led to losses for these shareholders. And last spring, the case was moved to federal court. And in June, a federal judge said that FHFA, not, share, not the shareholders, was the only proper, proper plaintiff who has standing to bring suits of this nature. Now, we believe this decision was incorrect, and we've asked the court to reconsider its ruling with respect to some of um, our claims against Deloitte. And our, our motion remains pending, and we remain optimistic. And, of course, the, the conservatorship continues, and so much of what led up to it remains shrouded in secrecy. The government's invoked executive privilege on thousands of documents. So many years after the net worth sweep was implemented, as a lawyer, why do you think the government continues to try to keep so many communications off limits to the public? Well, I think in its simpler, simplest term, it's because government lawyers know what led to the establishment of the conservatorship. They also know what later prompted changes in terms of the conservatorship, including the net worth sweep and that this was all highly, highly irregular, to say the least. Now, there's this human impulse to try to cover one's tracks or hopes no one will notice if you've made a mistake, and it looks like that same impulse is at work here. Um, if the government was absolutely confident it was and is on solid ground legally, it would have surrendered most of these documents a long time ago. Now, it would be understandable if a small pocket of documents, um, they were exerting executive privilege over that small pocket, but the government's privilege logs cover 11 to 12,000 documents, and there is just no way whatsoever to justify this. It is hard to escape the conclusion that the government uh, isn't hiding ill-advised decisions and actions. 
And the, the documents that actually bear the point out that you just made, they've already been made public, right? Yes, some of them have. Um, and what's interesting is uh, one of the core elements of the government's um, kind of arguments in court was that these entities were in a death spiral in 2012. And that is a narrative that they have completely abandoned. Um, and that's reflected in these documents that have become uh, public, which are internal communications showing officials at the agencies and at FHFA and Treasury knew that this was going to be the golden period of profitability for these entities, and also that the deferred tax assets were, um, were going to reverse imminently. It's no coincidence that the government was the recipient of the largest corporate dividend in the history of the world, and that's not hyperbole, immediately after the sweep became effective. Um, so the, the, we know why they're, they're exerting privilege over this, um, over this large swath of documents because there's a very damning paper trail there. You know, this lack of transparency continues to prompt speculation and skepticism about the government's motives and accounting. I, I noticed in recent weeks, Dr. Jerome Corsi posted a series of stories and documents on the website InfoWars that raised the possibility that the Obama administration used the proceeds from the sweep to circumvent congressional prohibitions on spending on some elements of the Affordable Care Act. Since the Fox News talking heads like Maria Bartiroma, Charles Payne, and even Tucker Carlson have brought this up as a possibility, have you seen this story? What do you think? make of this as a possibility for the motives um, you know, behind this week? I, I have seen the stories, and I think Corsi raises an intriguing possibility. I haven't taken the time to yet, but I hope that someone jumps in and applies a rigorous analysis of Corsi's premise. Um, however, the Obama administration's need for funding sources for its priorities cannot be dismissed. The more Republicans in Congress said no to the president, the more Obama went it alone. Obama openly said he would use his pen and his phone to use executive action to advance policies that would not make it through the legislative process. And I think when you look at kind of the core nexus of people who are involved in Obamacare, the GSDs and OMB, particularly Kathleen Sebelius, Jack Lew, Sean Donovan, and Gene Sperling, um, that, that kind of lends a bit of credence to what Corsi has asserted. And in this kind of atmosphere where the regular budgeting and policy-making process were just bent and circumvented, it is entirely possible the GSEs were viewed as and used as a solution to keep alive kind of the chief component of Obama's legacy, which was the Affordable Care Act. You know, while it might be hard to establish a dollar-for-dollar dollar exchange for funds. Wouldn't it be just as hard to disprove Corsi's contentions? Well, given the accounting deceptions we encountered in our forensic reports and what was alleged in our lawsuits, I think it's fair to say that unwinding with precision how each dollar comes into the government coffers and how each dollar is allocated is an enormously complex process that is susceptible to a range of gimmickry, gimmickry and irregularities. 
But in light of the government stonewalling on thousands of documents and shareholder lawsuits and its move to sideline shareholders in the Deloitte suit, it is hard not to be suspicious, especially considering, again, the core nexus of ACA, OMB, and GSE personnel, particularly Sibelius, Lou, Donovan, and Sperling. Well, how can shareholders ever get to the truth about why the sweep was implemented and how Fannie and Freddie's profits were actually used? Well, you know, it might be impossible to ever uncover all the details and fully account for what happened. What we do know is this. As long as the conservatorship continues and as long as shareholders battle the government in court, assertions such as Corsi's regarding Obamacare will gain traction. And the public will have one more reason to believe that policymakers in Washington cannot be trusted. When shareholders and companies are forced to take their own government to court to recover property taken from them by accounting slights of hand, that trust will continue to erode. Leaning toward optimism, what do you think is the most likely outcome for shareholders? I mean, ideally, the new administration decides it does not want to continue to fight Obama's legal battles, and it ends the conservatorship and settles the lawsuits. Now, granted, it will still face the enormously complex process of comprehensive housing finance policy reform. But Secretary Mnuchin and others will have to navigate between those who want to completely eliminate Fannie and Freddie and those who want to retain them with a different and refined mission and structure. However, it might be as simple as getting back to what Hera required, which is to restore Fannie and Freddie to a sound and solvent condition and recapitalize and release them. And as we know, the GSEs weren't the basket cases the public was led to believe they were in the first place. And as Mnuchin said, it is time to get them out from under government control. And I'm confident that implementing reforms to both protect taxpayers and home buyers can be undertaken once this seemingly never-ending conservatorship ends. Shareholders um, recently saw another loss of sorts on March 30th when the Treasury swept another $10 billion into its coffers. Do you have any worries that this will become the standard in the new administration and that GSE reform as a whole and allowing these two entities to rebuild capital will be pushed to the back burner? You know, well, it was it – was, somewhat disappointing to see President Trump and Secretary Mnuchin in action on this first dividend payment of the administration. I'm, I'm really hopeful and have reason to believe that GSE reform will be addressed in this administration, and it's a high priority, as we heard uh, Secretary Mnuchin say this morning. Um, and Secretary Mnuchin has been critical of the Obama-era policies that have crippled Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and has stated that GSE reform you know, is a high priority for Treasury and the administration. And for the first time in eight years, Congress really has a chance to craft legislation and reform the GSEs in a way that will prove beneficial and reverse the harmful effects that this conservatorship and the network sweep has had on taxpayers, the economy, and most importantly, American homeowners. Well, I think that's a good place to, to end this. Uh, my guest today has been uh, Mike Sicklin, uh, an Investor Unite member, an investor. He and his partner, Adam Spittler, have been a disruptive force in getting to the truth of some of these very, very complex accounting issues. Um, 
on behalf of Investors Unite, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Adam, when you're listening, and, and you know, stay at it. Uh, we're getting close. Will do, and thanks again for the opportunity to speak today and for all the work you and Investors Unite are doing.